there was a group of us uh, and and Eva, of course, and we often would work out together. But it was it was such like trial and error back then. They would give us some workouts, see how it went, um, and we were always kind of racing each other. But but it was still so new. Nobody really knew. We knew it was a great workout, and that's it. We didn't have any idea what a revolution we were going to be part of. This is episode number 59 with Annie Sakamoto. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Julie Fouché, family medicine resident and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring to you information and inspiration from experts and everyday individuals for how to use lifestyle to maximize health. Thank you so much for joining me. Now let's get started with this week's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to Pursuing Health. The CrossFit Games are now just around the corner and to celebrate, I'll be doubling up on podcast episodes until then. So this week, we have two CrossFit legends here on the podcast in episodes 59 and 60 with Annie Sakamoto and Chris Spieler. In this episode, I catch up with Annie at Power Monkey Camp in Tennessee a few weeks ago, where we chatted about everything from the early days in Greg Glassman's original CrossFit gym in Santa Cruz to why she's now decided to make competing in CrossFit a regular part of her life. Here's a little bit of background about Annie before we get started. She's a mother of two children, a four-time CrossFit Games athlete, and owner of CrossFit Santa Cruz Central. She began her CrossFit journey in 2004, where she was introduced to Greg Glassman, and since then has trained, competed, and coached, bringing a veteran's perspective to the ever-changing sport of fitness. She's competed in the team, individual, and master's divisions of the CrossFit Games, and she was awarded the Spirit of the Games in 2011. She is known as one of the original Nasty Girls alongside Nicole Carroll and Eva T, who paved the way for future generations of CrossFit women by performing muscle-ups in a well-known workout video. She's also one of the few women to have a workout named after her with the classic couplet of double-unders and sit-ups known as Annie. In her spare time, Annie enjoys surfing and spending time with her family in Santa Cruz. A couple of quick reminders before we get to the episode. First, if you're enjoying the podcast, please head over to iTunes to subscribe and consider giving it a rating. I'm also always looking for inspiring stories to share. So if you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send your story to me at info at juliefouché.com and I'll select some to share here on future episodes. To check out my online training programs through Beyond the Whiteboard, visit beyondthewhiteboard.com forward slash juliefouché. Finally, please remember that although I'm now officially a doctor, this podcast is meant to share the experiences of individuals and does not provide medical advice. So with that, let's get started here with episode number 59 of Pursuing Health featuring Annie Sakamoto. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm super excited to be here with Annie Sakamoto, who is a legend in our sport. (laughs) And we're here at Power Monkey Camp. So thank you for sitting down with me. Yeah, thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, I want to talk first about your background. So 
can you just tell us about what kind of sports you were into growing up and what you were doing before you found CrossFit? Yep. Um, so growing up, I always dabbled in a lot of sports. I was never good at any of them. Okay. Um, but I really liked participating mm-hmm. in sports. Um, I think like the best I ever did was maybe diving. I did diving oh, one year and cool. made it to like yeah. the sectionals. Um, but I, I was just not great at any sport. Uh, and then in in college, in my, my early 20s, I started teaching cardio kickboxing kind okay. of as a joke. Uh, <laughs> somebody like, we needed a fill-in and somebody said that I did and I obviously didn't, but I <laughs> decided to try it. Um, and I had known Eva Tordokens for a really long time okay. through taking a hip-hop class. Okay. Um, and Who so is she- the Eva T that the workout is named after, yep. which... By the way, I just did a couple weeks ago and is terrible. I've I've never even done it. You really? No. It is so bad. And Eva has told me that she's done it, but over the course of like three days. Okay. You have to do like one round a day or something. That's exactly what she did. Yeah. Um, So she told me that she was doing CrossFit and um, I... She asked me if I would come take a class with her, mm-hmm. and I did, and it was it was pretty basic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my I came home, I told my husband that I'd done this thing called CrossFit, and mm-hmm. he had actually done it um, prior to me, probably in the late 90s oh, wow. with Greg. There was a group so of really surfers. Early. Yeah. Wow. There was a group of surfers in Santa Cruz, and Greg, um, had he was working out of like a little jiu-jitsu studio, mm-hmm. and these surfers would go, and, and the, more, the more of them there were, the less they each had to pay. That's how Greg had wow. it. Yeah, like a sliding scale kind of. That's so cool. Um, so anyways, he had said that he would he had done it mm-hmm. and that he would come to a class with me. Um, and we, we went to a 7 a.m. class like on a Friday morning, mm-hmm. and I was just hooked. <laughs> yeah, and that was in 2004. Okay. Yeah. 2004. So what do you think it was about CrossFit that was different from your kickboxing that hooked you uh well I was telling down at the campfire last night so I thought I was in really good shape from the kickboxing and actually the first workout to Eva's credit that she put me through was mm-hmm. um she was she was fairly gentle with okay. me it was it was 10 deadlifts at 65 pounds 10 pass-throughs on the pommel horse because wow. we had a pommel horse at the original gym wow. and then a 400 meter run which for me I just jogged because mm-hmm. I I didn't understand the intensity piece okay. of CrossFit so when Jake and I went back that next Friday morning um Greg was there. He was running the class, and there was a, a good-sized group of us. Mm-hmm. And the workout was a 500-meter row, 30 kettlebell swings or something like that, 30 air squats, three trips around the cargo net. We had a cargo net back then, um, and 25 glute ham sit-ups. And oh. I'd never done glute ham <laughs> sit-ups before. And uh, to kind of show you the, the intensity piece, he had a staggered start. So you were trying to catch the person in front of you and not let the person who started behind you catch you. Wow. Which obviously for me, that was like where I learned the whole intensity okay. piece of CrossFit. Anyways, I did all 75 glute ham sit-ups wow. to the ground and back up. The next day I was pretty sore. I can imagine. The day after that, I was distended. Oh no. I thought I had a hernia. I couldn't <laughs> laugh, fart, cough, sneeze, <laughs> bend forward, bend backward. Oh, I told gosh. Jake he had to take me to the hospital. Um, and he went back. He talked to Greg and Lauren, and they were like, don't take her to the hospital. She's probably okay. And literally, once I could move again, I was hooked. And I think a lot of people early on in CrossFit yeah. had that experience. Either it was so destroyingly hard mm-hmm. that they were hooked, or that was it, and they, they were never, never going w- back. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But you were hooked. I was hooked. (laughs) 
So then how did it progress from there? And what was it like in those early days in the original gym? Um, so I, we literally, my husband and I would just take the, the 7 a.m. class, mm-hmm. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember like palms sweating, not knowing what was going to yeah. happen out there. Um, and right around that time, Nicole Carroll started as okay. well. Okay. And so she was there. Greg Almondson, of course, was there. Mm-hmm. There was a couple other uh, people like Mike Weaver, who was really early on. This guy, okay. Matt Mast. Um, there was a girl named Chem Girl because she uh, was was military or Navy and she literally like dropped chemical bomb. I mean, she, wow. she was, or she, you know, helped with chemical bombs. It was, it was crazy. Anyways, um, there was a group of us uh, and, and Eva, of course, mm-hmm. and we often would work out together, mm-hmm. but it was, it was such like trial and error back then. They would give us some workouts, see how mm-hmm. it went. Um, and we were always kind of racing each other, mm-hmm. but but it was still so new. Nobody really knew. We knew it was a great workout, and that's it. We didn't have any idea what a revolution we were going to be part of. Wow. Yeah. Can you remember any of the workouts that were an experiment and just didn't go very well or something? Well, that, that first one for me. Yeah, well, aside <laughs> yeah. from that. I mean, yeah. can you imagine having a brand new student and giving doing them, them 75 yeah, doing, glutes? Oh, my gosh. Even now, that would make me really sore, and I do those on a regular basis. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I don't remember specifically any other ones. I, I just really remember those first two workouts. Okay. Um, but they would, I mean, they would give us as girls ring dips right off the bat. And again, it was, you know, just happened chance, but both Nicole, Carol and I came in and we mm-hmm. had never done ring dips, but mm-hmm. we both had ring dips. Wow. We, we had pull-ups. So they're like, oh, this is easy. We can just teach all yeah. the girls to do <laughs> Exactly. <this."> exactly. <laughs> we'll just teach them muscle-ups. Exactly. Awesome. I think I was, I was saying the first time Lauren taught me how to do a muscle up. Uh-huh. She never showed me. They literally, she just explained what I was going to do. And I, and then you did it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Without ever <laughs> having seen it done. I'm sure. Everyone listening right now is super jealous. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. Wow. And so then at what point did you start to get into actually coaching CrossFit? Um, so that, I was really just having a ton of fun that mm-hmm. summer because um, I started in May. And in October, uh, they were doing a cert. Okay. And Greg asked me if I would do it. And I was like, I have no interest in coaching. <laughs> I, I teach kickboxing. That's good. This is like what I get to do for fun. And yeah. he he really asked me if I would do it. And so I said, okay, fine. Did the cert. Still didn't feel comfortable coaching because mm-hmm. I'd only been doing CrossFit for about six months. And mm-hmm. anyways, they kind of pushed me along to start coaching. And so I was still kind of dabbling in both. Mm-hmm. Um, and then probably within about a year, I just completely made the switch. I was also managing a restaurant. I mean, okay. that was where my real income was. Wow. Um, and I just decided to take the leap and, and stop everything else and just coach CrossFit. Uh, and so it was probably about 2005 okay. that I fully committed. And is that the point where you started doing the seminars? And traveling uh, yep, with them yep, and doing those. Yep, exactly. We we would go like to Mike Bergner's and um but back then it was there was some information but a lot of it was just all of us working out with a group of people mm-hmm. to show the show impact. What it was. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. So different. Yeah. And so what was what was your role then in the seminars? I know talking to Cole, she said a lot of it was kind of like demoing and almost showing people what was possible or look at 
do you think like having some really strong guy stand up there and say, watch this, like this when they had going to beat you in this work in the overhead squat. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty much what it was. We would do like bottom to bottom to bottom squats and I would have to sit in the middle and everybody would have to try to keep up with me. <laughs> and, um, th I remember the very first time I did Fran, we were at a cert and I had never done Fran before. I didn't wow. know what it was. And, um, Lauren said, you'll be fine. You're just going to do 21 of these and 21 pull-ups and mm -hmm. 15 of those, you know. And I remember, like, you know, some point in the 15s looking at her like, what did you just do to me? <laughs> this is horrible. Yes. <laughs> and they And they very much would pit us against a couple other people. Okay. Um, so that so that the intensity piece was kind of demonstrated mm -hmm. to everybody. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And then at what point? How did you transition then from doing the seminars into coaching and your affiliate? Um, so I don't remember what year it was. It must have been about 2007, I think. Mm -hmm. Greg and Lauren moved to Prescott, Arizona. Okay. And so I was there managing the gym, and there was probably about 12 to 15 of us mm -hmm. that were trainers at that original wow. CrossFit so gym. A lot of There trainers. was a lot of us, yeah. especially for, I'm sure you've seen the videos, how small yeah. that box was. Um and I was working with Greg and Lauren, but it got to the point where, like, I would have to call them, we need toilet paper, and they would order mm. the toilet paper, and the toilet paper would come. <laughs> and um, Just between them and between us, we decided it was too hard. There were so many of us training that we were running it out of space. Mm -hmm. So a few of us decided to just kind of split mm -hmm. and start our own affiliate, and that really made a lot of sense to Greg and Lauren. They were mm -hmm. permanently going to be in Arizona now. Um, so myself, Rob Miller, Eva T., okay. um, Michelle Moots, and uh, Jimmy Baker, who was actually, he's been doing CrossFit for 17 years. He wow. was one of Greg's original clients. We found a place literally 200 meters from the original CrossFit no gym, way. and we um, opened up in 2008. Um, and then since then, there's been some owner shifts. Um, mm -hmm. Now it's myself, Jimmy Baker, um, Gary Herthler, and Helene Bouchard, but we still own that same affiliate from 2008. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. That's so cool. And we kept a lot of the um, original clients because we we moved right so close. Yeah. So we have a lot of clients in our gym that have been crossfitting for 10 plus years. That's so amazing. Yeah. And were you saying the other day that your most of your clientele are 40, 50, 50 60, yeah. even? We definitely have some, mm -hmm. some 30s, some 20s, mm -hmm. but the, the bulk of our clientele is very much 40 plus. That's amazing. Yeah. And a lot of them just grow with you over the last... I think a lot grew with us and then... All of us as owners are pretty much 40 plusers, except for <laughs> Gary. And so the people that we've brought in are, yeah. are you know, pretty much our peer group. Okay. Um, and then they all bring in their peer groups. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of moms, mm -hmm. a lot of dads, um, a lot of people that just have one hour. They come in, they do their thing, and they and they get out. That's awesome. Yeah. But and we've actually qualified um, three different people in the Masters. Awesome. So we also have some competitive masters athletes which is fun oh that's really cool yeah and also yourself speaking of which <laughs> yeah. um so how did you i know you competed in some of the early games i think on a team correct i did team in 2009 okay yeah. was that your first that was my first experience yep. okay yep and then 2010 you didn't but 2011 correct. was the year that you just happened to find yourself in a position to yep. qualify for to the qualify game. for the games that was the first year of the open and we had a lot of people at the gym that wanted to do the open mm -hmm. and I had no interest um and they kind of were like 
come on, you got to do it. And yeah. and I figured as an owner um, and as one of the coaches, I should really do it with mm-hmm. them. So I did it and ended up qualifying for regionals and swore I wasn't going to do regionals. <laughs> um, and then did regionals and um, ended up qualifying for the games. Wow. And that was like, I remember being at regionals and starting so long so early on mm-hmm. I was never really taught how to kip oh, wow. so I always had like a frog kip on my pull-ups yeah. I didn't even know how to do a gymnastics kip and my toes to bar were so hideous that every time <laughs> I did a toe to bar I would have to hook my toes on the bar to stop myself from really? swinging yeah. wow. and I think 2011 wasn't one of them like 100 toes to bar or some something like hideous that. number yeah. of toes to bar and I literally had to hook my toes on every one no come way. down come yeah wow yeah so you just sort of came into that position where you were going to compete. Was there a specific reason why you didn't compete in 2007 or 8 or yeah. before that? I was um, having started CrossFit so early on mm-hmm. and being kind of in the in the um, spotlight of CrossFit mm-hmm. on, early on on, yeah. the, on the site. I really felt like um, the community would have some expectation of mm-hmm. where, how I would do, where I would place, that mm-hmm. I would have to do really well or I would kind of let the community down. Um, so I didn't want to measure myself mm. against everybody. So I was always finding a lot of reasons why not to do it. Yeah. Um, I would give these kind of lame excuses. And then I remember when I qualified for regionals, mm-hmm. I told a couple people, they were like, you have to do it. You qualified. Of and I was like, no, everybody's <laughs> form breaks down and, and I'm not good. I'm not willing to do that. And they said, well then go to regionals and have perfect form yeah. and just let that be your statement, you know? <laughs> and I was like, Oh, they got me there. So <laughs> running out of excuses. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so I did it and I qualified. qualified. Um, and then I swore I wouldn't go to the games even though I was standing there with my trophy, yeah. I was telling myself there's no way. And I remember um, specifically, China had just missed out. China mm-hmm. and actually, China and I actually tied for third, but because I had had a first place finish, mm-hmm. I got to go, wow. and she didn't. And she had wanted to go so bad. Yeah. And I remember she walked up to me, and I don't know that she. I had never told her that I didn't want to go. And mm-hmm. I just remember so distinctly that she walked up to me and she was like, you better go to the games. Wow. And, and that was the moment I was like, I better go. I gotta go. I yeah. gotta go. You have to do it. Yeah. So then what was that experience like at the games? The most amazing kind of freeing experience because what I realized was, um, it didn't matter how well I did. Mm -hmm. The community supported me just like it supported every other athlete there. Mm -hmm. Um, regardless of, of how we placed or what happened in a workout. Um, so it was a very freeing feeling and really kind of fired me up to keep competing. Yeah. Um, and that was actually my best games placing outside of being a master's. I finished ninth that year. So in 2012, I was super hungry to go back to the games. That's awesome. Yeah. And also spirit of the games that year yep. too, Yep. which was amazing. And like you yeah. said, people didn't care what place you ended up. It was just so cool to right. see you out there. Right. And that's what you realize, I think. Um, and it was a lot in your talk last night. It, it's the expectations that you put on yourself. Mm-hmm. It's not what other people are putting on you and and you have to learn how to enjoy the journey Mm -hmm. versus the outcome and that let that be your focus Mm -hmm. and that's such a cool way to learn that lesson right to be there 
and be able to really enjoy it. Like, I feel like so many people try so hard to get to the games every year after year. And then when they finally get there, they're so focused on doing well that they don't enjoy it. But it sounds like you really enjoyed it that I first really year. I really did. Yeah. Um, like we were talking about earlier, the 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 peer event mm-hmm. was just so much fun. It was so different than I, anything I'd ever done. Mm-hmm. And then um, we were also talking about the 155-pound front squat yes. in the killer cage workout. And 155 pounds at the time was my one rep max clean. So I think that was the other thing that I realized is is – the things that you're able to do in competition Mm -hmm. that you aren't able to do in your regular everyday training. Yeah. What it brings out in you physically, but also just, um, emotionally and, Mm -hmm. and mentally the hurdles that you can overcome is, is pretty empowering. So cool. Yeah. So after that year, when you said, okay, I want to be back there, did you change anything about your training or how did you did you do anything differently to try to get back there the next yeah, year? Yeah, I focused much harder because going into the 2011 mm-hmm. games, I was not preparing. I was literally just doing the class workout, mm-hmm. you know, once a day, five yeah. days a week. Um, so then in 2012, I really focused hard, really tried to up my strength, okay. um, focused much more specifically on, on trying to make it back. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was good. That was actually a really fun year mm-hmm. of training. It, I I'd made a lot of progress mm-hmm. strength-wise, especially um, because I finally really focused on it. And okay. I've always loved the light gymnastics workouts I've always hated the heavy harder workouts Uh, and that kind of switched a little bit for me I really started to like lifting a little bit more Mm -hmm. so that was that was pretty cool that's really cool yeah and then how have things shifted now that you're in the master's competition so this is your this is your second this year. This is my Masters, second correct? year. Last year you took second place. Yep, exactly. Which is amazing and incredible. Thank you. And now you're again looking like you're in a really great spot heading into this season with the qualifier just finishing. Yep. But, um, I think so. 2013, I didn't make it back, and that okay. was that was a big bummer because I definitely wanted to. And then in 2014, um, it to me because I was getting older, mm-hmm. um, the volume at the games really changed. It was a lot, yeah. It was a lot, and I all of a sudden had this moment of like, I don't think I even want to qualify as an mm-hmm. individual anymore. Like as much as I love competing, mm-hmm. um, preparing for that amount of volume mm-hmm. over the weekend would just kill me. Yeah. And I have two kids, and you know, some days, like I would love to sleep 10 hours or even eight hours, yeah. but when you have two kids, that's not always an option. It's right. out of your control. Um, so I realized that as much as I loved competing, I really didn't have the desire to be back at the games as an individual. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kept making it to regionals, and I loved regionals. And for me, regionals was like a very appropriate workload. Mm-hmm. It was the right amount of, of skill and yep. strength, and um, I could do it. So I just enjoyed those couple of years, uh, 14, 15, mm-hmm. um, just doing regionals and seeing a lot of friends um yeah. and and doing that and, and it's then actually very fun like for myself going last year it's so much fun to go without any expectation of trying totally. to qualify exactly and just have a great time exactly and yeah. ex- like you said like just really enjoy every workout yeah. and actually um it was good for myself too because in 2015 when we were uh, down in san diego and we had the california regional mm-hmm. um i was with val vobrel and she she was 
having a moment where mm-hmm. I think it was at the start of the second day where she, we were lined up, at, you know, in the corrals getting mm-hmm. ready to go out. And I could tell that she was kind of upset. And she said, it's okay if I don't want to do this anymore. Right. It's okay. And, oh. um, and I was like, of course it's okay, Val. And yeah. there, there's nothing that these people expect of you. It was like my chance to yeah. kind of let her know, like, there's nothing that anybody expects of you. They really just want to see you enjoy yourself, mm-hmm. you know, to see you perform your best. And, and if you're done with competing, then that's fine. You yeah. know, just finish out the weekend and you don't have to compete anymore. Yeah. And, um, she told me that she went out on that workout. I think it was the, um, the, the true form run oh, mm-hmm. and she was smiling the entire <laughs> workout. And I could hear, you know, sometimes you can't hear anything that the announcers right. are saying. And sometimes you can hear every word and they were talking about how much she was smiling oh. and she really, um, I think enjoyed the rest of the weekend and mm-hmm. she didn't qualify, but she was so content and happy. And, um, and that's kind of how I felt mm-hmm. about regionals. Like just enjoy being there, being yeah given the opportunity to compete on that floor is pretty amazing with those women. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. I think it's so important, especially sometimes you see people going for the first time and it can be such a stressful experience Mm -hmm. or they're putting so much pressure on themselves and it's like, just let's just have a good time. It's going to be, obviously it is a stressful environment and qualifying it. I think of the whole season regionals is the most stressful, but it can also be really fun. Definitely. And somebody at our gym right before I went, you know, she said, just make sure that you take a moment and and take it all in. Mm-hmm. And I remember right before we started one of the workouts, you know, standing there and you're standing on the little start mat or yeah. whatever. And I remembered what she said and it was like, oh, yeah. And I just stop and you kind of looked at the crowd mm-hmm. and in your peripheral vision. And it was like, OK, yeah. this is yeah, this is so cool. I feel so fortunate just to be here right mm-hmm. now. Whatever happens, it's all good. That's amazing. Yeah. So how you said, obviously, too much volume to be training for the games. But how what does your training look like now? What is your maybe you can give us like an average day in the life of Annie Sakamoto? <laughs> <laughs> if there is it's, such a thing. Exactly. <laughs> it's the, usually I get up really early because okay. I like to pack my kids a really good lunch. Okay. Um, so I usually get up about an hour before I would have to get up or 45 minutes mm-hmm. just so I can make sure everybody has a good lunch, yep. good breakfast. Um, and then I usually coach for a couple hours and then I'll usually do my training after I've done my coaching. Okay. Um, and that's usually some gymnastics mm-hmm. three days a week. Um, I have coaching my Olympic lifting coaching from Mike service. Awesome. Yep, yep. I really like him. Um, and that's usually four to five days a week. Okay. Um, and then I've been working with Jason Lydon for a couple of years awesome. now and he is perfect for me so he is the perfect blend of funny Mm -hmm. and very serious and knowledgeable because for me I have to be having fun like if I'm not laughing and having fun I can't imagine an Annie that's not having fun (laughs) right um and he's just he's really funny and he's he's on it with that but then his volume that he gives me is perfect so it's usually just one conditioning workout maybe a Mm two-piecer but all my training happens within um probably about three hours from start from very start to to very finish yep warm up all of that um and that that works out for me um especially since the gymnastics you know some days it's two and a half hours some Mm -hmm. days it's four Mm -hmm. for the most part it's about three hours um and that's it's perfect that's awesome yeah and I felt very prepared um at the masters this last year at Mm -hmm. the games um and in fact 
I was ready to work out that next Monday. <laughs> ready to just, get back into it. Yeah. yeah, just because I feel like the master's volume, what mm-hmm. they gave us, it was this last year for me, I think it was a really good blend of skill, mm-hmm. some strength, um, and not so much that we were just debilitated mm-hmm. by the last day. You know, that axle bar, the last workout that we had was really tough, but yeah. it wasn't it, it, it wasn't like just a, we got the snot beat out of us. Right, right. So. You're still alive at the end of the exactly weekend. yeah and feeling like good like I was mm-hmm. ready to work out a few days later that's awesome yeah okay so you do your training and then what do you do in the rest of the afternoon and then sometimes I'll coach again in the afternoon okay um and then I usually am home between you know anywhere between two and four mm-hmm. thirty or five mm-hmm. um and my kids have you know they'll have some activity yeah. usually they've been doing CrossFit kids oh, which awesome. is fun um and then make dinner and then make sure we get homework done if it's not already done. And then we try to get literally my, I put my kids to bed at eight thirty, mm-hmm. and I follow them. I go right into my bedroom oh, and I'll read amazing. for like 20 minutes and then try to go to sleep. My husband has to wake up at four forty cause he commutes. Okay. So he usually leaves the house by 5am. So I usually can fall back asleep, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of days where I'm up by five yeah. anyways to, to work. Yeah. So works out. So yeah. usually how much sleep do you get? I really strive for eight. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And any specific approach that you take to nutrition now? Um, I'm fairly paleo, but not super strict. Mm-hmm. I've never been good at counting. Mm-hmm. Like zone never worked for me. Counting my macros doesn't work. It totally, it messes with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but just by nature, I really crave vegetables. Mm-hmm. I crave protein and avocados. So mm-hmm. I, I'm, I zone when I eat, but not perfectly. Like okay. I'm always carb, fat, um, protein. Right. Yeah. Um, but not I'll eat pasta here and there. I'll eat bread. I'll, you know, mm-hmm. I tend to eat more rice and sweet potatoes. Mm-hmm. It's actually just what I like. Um, but yeah. And, and chocolate. Of course. Chocolate. <laughs> yes, we chocolate. just talked about that. Yes. <laughs> Any favorite, do you have an absolute favorite memory of training or competition? Is there something that stands out in your mind? Um, I think, like we were talking about today, that killer cage workout, Mm -hmm. um, because it it was, we were, I was telling you how I'd seen Michelle Kenny, the heat before, Mm -hmm. not finish the workout. Um, And we were in the tunnel ready to go out. And Mm -hmm. I remember just thinking, I just don't want that to be me. I don't want to not finish a workout. Um, Because really, I hadn't had that experience. And we were there and I wasn't finishing the workout. Everybody else was done and they were all standing behind me cheering for me, but all I wanted was to just disappear. I mean, everybody was, was cheering me right. on, I which remember was great. It was great. amazing because they had the whole stadium. Right. was every move that you made and that, yeah. but that barbell was so heavy and the, um, the monkey bars were so far mm-hmm. for me and I just wanted to like disappear into a <laughs> hole. Um, and I didn't, and I worked to the end of the clock mm-hmm. And that is probably one of my favorite memories just because I really overcame some mental weakness there mm-hmm. that I was experiencing. And at the same games was when we had that hideous sled push, the yes. dog sled. Ugh. And that was one where I, I remember I, I went into the sled and I couldn't make it go. And I went You're again like, and I couldn't make it go. Move? Yes. <laughs> and then I, I got it moving and it ended up being a, a, one of my better workouts. Wow. Um, and, and that was great. And that was, um, that was a real good feel like feel good mm-hmm. moment but i still think the killer cage was tops that because mm-hmm. 
of what it did for my confidence, Mm -hmm. you know, and just my mental toughness. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I have to ask about the workout, Annie, because Uh I know everyone wants to know (laughs) because it is, I think a lot of people's favorite workout, (laughs) but can you tell us the story behind that workout and how it, how it was named after you? Well, some like back in the day, um, a lot of workouts would come up because somebody had a movement that they didn't like. And so, of course, uh, Greg and Lauren would actually then put that in a workout and call that after their name. Okay. Like Kelly Moore, I think, you know, we were telling the story last yeah. night. She was really good at, like, all the heavy workouts, heavy dumbbells, heavy kettlebells. And somebody was saying, oh, my God, Kelly, that you know, you, you killed that workout. And she said, well, that's only because it wasn't running, box jumping, and wall balls. <laughs> and the very next day, it was five rounds of 400-meter run, 30 wall balls, and 30 yeah. box jumps. That's that's so funny because I always would have thought it would be something you were good at. Right. And and so I'm not even sure how Eva got Eva. Mm. And I I remember waking up one morning, checking the site, and there was Annie. Mm. I I don't – for me, I love double unders, and I hate ab mat sit-ups. So that might be where it came from. Yeah. Because I really loathe ab mat sit-ups. I would (laughs) rather do GHD sit-ups. Wow. Yeah. Well, I guess you got that early experience yeah. with them, yeah. <laughs> which wasn't a good one. So that probably means you really hate Amat Siddhas. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. I want to ask, the last three questions are ones that I ask everyone on the podcast. Okay. So first one is three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health. Um, God, that's a good one. Uh, probably making sure I'm eating... Um, eating right Mm -hmm. and drinking enough water Mm -hmm. I have like you know my tubs of water that help me keep track of it um sleep is a big one like I said I really try to go to bed and and I shut off um all like electronic Mm -hmm. devices Mm -hmm. at eight and I just I don't even bring them in the room with me they're out they're gone um and then focusing on my kids Mm -hmm. and so much of what I do is driven by being a good role model. So there, I feel like there's so many people that tell their kids to do one thing mm-hmm. and they model different behavior. And I just really think about my kids because, you know, once you have kids, like monkey see, monkey do. Yeah. More, they, you're, you're the peanuts <laughs> teacher and whatever you say is wah, 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 wah. <laughs> but what you do is what they mimic. Yeah. Um, and so I really try to, you know, promote, eating well, sleeping well, Mm -hmm. being active, being kind, Mm -hmm. um, and being supportive. That's awesome. I think you you. mentioned, I've heard you say before, even that competing is one way that you do that by putting yourself out there and taking on something challenging Exactly, because you want them to do the same thing. That's exactly, I mean, that is like you were talking about last night. That's Mm -hmm. my why is I always want my kids to know that it's, it, you should put yourself out there, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and that you should, be willing to sacrifice things mm-hmm. um, because I feel like I make a lot of sacrifices to compete. You know, yeah. yeah w- would I like to have a couple beers on Friday night? And, <laughs> um, but I make choices because I really do still love competing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that a lot of that is for myself, but it's also because I want to model that for my kids. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Next question is one thing that you think would have a big impact on your health, but you have a hard time implementing it or you're struggling with it, working on it. putting my phone down yes yeah. so hard <laughs> yes right it's it's such habitual behavior yes. um and it's so funny because i'll like tell my kids like put put the phone down put the mm-hmm. phone down they don't have phones mm-hmm. but you know or whatever gadget they're yeah. on and again it's and i'm sitting there on my phone right. so 
Um, and I catch myself too, like when they're trying to interact with mm-hmm. me and I'm texting somebody, and even though it seems like it's important to send this person this message mm-hmm. at this moment or to check my email, it's right. not right. that important. Um, I don't know how much it would affect my health, but I think it would because I there think is, it would. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Because it's something that is constantly bombarding you like exactly. all day. Exactly. <laughs> Always something to pay attention to. Exactly. It was funny. I was talking to someone. I remember someone telling the story about they gave up Facebook for Lent. And mm-hmm. so they would go, they didn't even realize how much they were addicted to their phone until they took the app or the, yeah, they deleted the app from their phone. And then they found themselves trying to constantly trying to click in that spot to open up Facebook and it wasn't even there. Wow. And so then I think they replaced it with a meditation app or something <laughs> so that they would do that instead. I like But that. it's crazy how much the technology can really train you and it becomes this habit. Totally. And, and again, like thinking about modeling for them and, mm-hmm. and that just habitual behavior. And, um, and we talk about it, you know, kids nowadays, like I'm bored, I'm bored. And we're always saying like, back in, back in my <laughs> day, I didn't have a phone. I right. didn't have this. And it's like, well then show them. Right. Yeah. And right. then so it's okay true. to be bored and it's okay for us to be bored. And it's okay for us to not be connected mm-hmm. to email and other people at every second because we were for so many years and we were okay and we made it and yeah. we were fine. Right. Yeah. yeah. So true. Yeah. Um, last question uh-huh. is what does a healthy life look like to you? Um, to me, it is being fulfilled, mm-hmm. um, emotionally, uh, and, and, um, confident with yourself and, and kind of the that. decisions that you're making. I yeah. love it. Thank awesome. you. Awesome. Well, you're obviously living a very healthy life. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. And it's good to talk to you. You too. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Annie's energy is absolutely contagious. I've loved competing with her over the years, and it's been amazing to see her evolve as an athlete and a role model within our community. I know we're all wishing her the best as she prepares to compete at the 2017 CrossFit Games in Madison this summer. In this episode, Annie talks about how the girl workouts were named after people because they included movements that were considered their weaknesses. If there were to be a workout named after you, what movements might it include? If I had to pick, I think mine would be some combination of very heavy deadlifts and front squats. Let me know what yours would be in the comments below this post on my website, juliefouché.com. To make sure you never miss an episode and to receive exclusive content from me, head to my website, juliefouché.com and subscribe to my email list. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and consider giving the podcast a five-star rating on iTunes. Also, don't forget to share your stories. If you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send me an email at info at juliefouché.com. I'll choose some of these inspiring stories to share here on future episodes. Don't forget you can train with me through Beyond the Whiteboard by visiting trainwithjuliefouché.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Pursuing Health.